1 Corinthians 12, where I want you to notice with me this morning two words, two words that ought to arrest our hearts and ought to gain our attention. Now, of course, all Scripture deserves our attention, but sometimes the Holy Spirit utilizes specific language and specific words in order to sort of increase our focus, words like behold and verily, verily, take heed, words like first, most, greatest, and so on. In this case, it's two words. You're going to notice in verse 31, they are the words more and the words excellent. Words that I think the Holy Spirit of God wants to press upon your heart and upon mine. Yet I show unto you, Paul says, a more excellent way. The word excellent in this text comes from the Greek word hyperbolin, where we get the word hyperbole, except of course the Greek word and the English translation are not pejoratives at all. In fact, the same word is excellent there is sometimes translated as utterly, abundant, exceeding. So that it's as if, Paul is saying, yet I show unto you an excellent, excellent way. And for God, this is not hyperbole at all, it's just the truth. The question is, what exactly is the truth referring to? Precisely what is more excellent, and what exactly is it more excellent than? Well, that's what I want us all to consider this morning as we speak on the subject, way better. Now, way better, of course, is an informal expression here in North America that was invented in my lifetime. The formal rendering is much better. But if you're talking about coffee from Starbucks, for example, versus coffee from Dunkin' Donuts, you don't say it's much better. You say Dunkin' Donuts is way better, <laughs> right? It might even be way, way better, and it's definitely way cheaper. In today's text, that which is truly more excellent is also both way better and way, way more important. You know, I don't know about you, but if God says that he evaluates one thing in life as more excellent than all of the other things in life, in the Christian life, I want to know, I really want to know what the way better thing is. And thus, not waste my time or my very short life on what chapter 3 called wood, hay, and stubble. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We need we need to hear from you, and I pray that we will. And this church, this local assembly of believers in this place, we need to know, Father, what is way better, what is more excellent. And may we know it, and as a church, demonstrate it, always and everywhere. We'll praise you for that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A moment ago, before we prayed, I briefly mentioned Paul's words back in chapter 3 concerning all the, the, the text all of you are familiar with, the wood, hay, and stubble, that, as you know, will be burned away at the judgment seat of Christ. Paul contrasted those materials with the gold, the silver, and the precious stones that will remain for all of eternity. Well, the context of that wood, hay, and stubble is that something Paul called the foundation and the building of a person's life. Let every man take heed. That's a warning. It's a cautionary term. Let every man take heed what, how he buildeth, Paul said. And why? 
because every man's work shall be made manifest, whether gold or wood, whether silver or hay. The eternal stuff will remain, and all that temporal stuff will be removed, it'll be burned up in the fire. And so he teaches that as you build your house, which is your life, it's not the size of the house, that's not the word he uses, it's, that's more excellent, it's the sort of the house. Now, of course, look, the world looks at, you know, some massive house of talent or of fame, some huge accomplishments of awards and status and glory, and those things are made entirely out of wood, hay, and stubble, and man is amazed by it. Man is inspired, even intimidated, by that house, the house of Bezos or the house of Zuckerberg or Buffett or Vanderbilt, the house of Windsor or Hanover, the house of Brando or the house of Lennon. All of these lives we all know about that are known for things that are really temporal, things that are fleeting, things that are material, they're just wood and hay and stubble. Nobody built a bigger house than Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, who conquered the known world by the age of 31, he named 70 cities after himself and one city after his horse. In 15 years of conquest, he never lost a single battle. He was taught by Aristotle when he was a 13-year-old a prince, and it, yet it was Alexander who willed as he died at 30 years, 32 years of age that his empty and open hands be on display at his grave as a reminder that he took nothing of what he conquered with him. And folks, what Paul is saying is that when it comes to a believer's life, most of you here this morning are Christians, born-again believers. When it comes to a believer's life and when it comes to your house and to mine, built upon the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ, some things in life are way better. Some things are more excellent. Some things in your daily life are gold and silver and precious stones. And the reason that they are is that they are eternal and thus have intrinsic value. And what God is telling us here in this text is to simply make sure that you build your life as a Christian, that you build your life with things that are indeed, quote, more excellent. And you know, for these carnal, selfish, divisive Corinthians, they may not have known about the more excellent way than what they had already embraced in their lifestyle, but they're about to find out. And so are we. Because the Holy Spirit of God is going to tell them. And as He tells them, beloved, He also tells us. Remember, folks, the church at Corinth loved. They loved their wood, their hay, and their stubble. They boasted. They gloried in it. In every way, they believed in the far less excellent way. So for them, the most valuable things in life were gifts and abilities and possessions and mighty deeds. And that's the reason why, just like the lost world in Corinth around them, they had a problem with the cult of personality. They indulged in hero worship. 
And then they divided over whose preacher was better, Apollos or Peter or Paul. And so it goes. All their leaven, all their going to court, all of their abusive communion service, their status seeking, their tongues, their meat offered to idols, prophesying positions, their possessions. It was all answered by the Holy Spirit's inspiration. And sure enough, he tells them that all of that was wood, hay, and stubble. And you know, for the next 11 chapters, when you start, and he begins that discussion way back at the beginning of this book, it goes on about nothing but wood and hay and stubble in the church at Corinth until ultimately you come to the gold. Ultimately, you come to the gold, the silver, the precious stones, and one of the greatest chapters in all of Scripture. And folks, if you want to know this morning, and I think you do want to know if you're a Christian, if you want to know what it is that God counts, if you want to know what it is truly, quote, more excellent for today and for eternity in the life of a Christian, here it is. 1 Corinthians 12. I want you to notice how the chapter begins. Now concerning, Paul says, spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And of course, Paul goes on in the chapter. You know this chapter. We taught on it. He goes on to rebuke over and again and correct them in all of their notions about spiritual gifts. And then he closes the chapter with this. Verse 31. But covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet, and yet, I show unto you a more excellent way well there it is a more excellent way more wait a minute more than even the best gifts yes what is the more excellent way what is the way better thing for now and thus for all of eternity well all you have to do is keep reading because he's about to tell you Verse 31, but covet earnestly the best gifts. And yet I show unto you a more excellent way. Though I speak, he's still talking about tongues. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, love, I am become as sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Now, wait a minute. Pastor, it sounds as if love is greater than anything and everything in a believer's life. Is that possible? Well, notice the last verse of the chapter. Verse 13, and now abideth faith, hope, here it is again, charity or love, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. Now, folks, I want you to hear this very carefully. The word charity, as most of you in this room knows very well, is the Greek word agape. That means it's love. Yes, it's love, but it's the love of God. This is the love of Christ. This is the kind of love that, that leaves, not only leaves a spiritual legacy long, long after you and I are gone, but it stands the test of the judgment seat of Christ as a testimony to the eternal glory of God. This is the one thing that's not only excellent, it's more excellent than even the very best 
gifts. When the Pharisees came to Jesus in Matthew 22 and they said, Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? They were asking the lawgiver who wrote it. They didn't know that. Master, what is the greatest commandment in the law? In the law? And the Lord Jesus did not hesitate. He said, thou shalt love. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And then he said something that suggests there's almost a tie. Pastor, what's your favorite restaurant? Well, it's kind of a tie. Pastor, who are your favorite? What's your favorite child? Well, they're all listening, so I'm going to say it's a tie. <laughs> so Jesus said in Matthew 22, 39, the second is like unto it. It's almost a tie. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And then he said this on these two commandments. On these two commandments hang all the law and all the prophets. Jesus said that the greatest thing to God and the second greatest thing to God, they're both love. Pastor, how can I have this kind of love? If I'm going to stand before Christ one day at the judgment seat, you're going to go to heaven, but your works are going to be burned up or they're going to remain. How can I have this kind of love and demonstrate and build my life on the gold and the precious stones of agape love? Well, three things I want us to consider in the text. The first one, first in every way, I want to say this, first in every way is number one, value this love. Look at verse 31 again. Yet I show unto you a more excellent way. You recognize that that's the first bookend of this discussion. What is the other bookend? Chapter 13, verse 13. The greatest of these is love. A, a more excellent way, and B, the greatest of these. Those of you who have one of our little bulletins here this morning, you may have noticed it on one side of it. There's these lines. See that? It says notes. That's for your sermon notes. I do that as a favor to all of you who love to doodle when you're bored. <laughs> By the way, just so you know, we get these sometimes in the thing back there. Your children draw on them. Years ago, one of them said, pray for daddy. He doesn't listen to mommy. <laughs> that had to be a great ride to church that morning, whatever that was about. One time, a little kid, you could tell it was a little child. He drew me in the pulpit, tie, everything but I had a Trump hat on. I don't know where that kid got that from. <laughs> anyway, you have, if you have one, take a pen, and if you're going to write anything in those lines, do me a favor. Just take your pen and write a zero, a big zero, would you, on the far right side? Well, that zero, let us say, represents your ability to speak with other languages. Juan, come up here for a minute. Do you mind? Juan's going to come up here. So the zero, let's say, are the ability of other tongues. The Corinthians bragged about this ability, of course. And it's impressive, I think, to see people who can speak in three or four different languages. Come here, Brother Juan. I'm going to have you do me a favor. I want you to read this verse. Let's say, read this verse in Portuguese. Can you do that? Porque Deus amou o mundo de tal maneira que deu o seu Filho unigênito para que todo aquele que nele crê não pereça, mas tenha a vida eterna. Muy bueno. All right, now, read it. Read the same verse. Can you read it in Spanish? Yeah. All right, read it in Spanish. That was Portuguese. Porque de tal maneira, 
Amó Dios al mundo, que ha dado a su Hijo unigénito, para que todo aquel que en él crea no, no se pierda, mas tenga la vida eterna. Wow. Can you read in English? Yeah. Go ahead. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Three languages. Can you, can you sign it a little yeah. bit? All right, go ahead. Amen. All right, I believe you. <laughs> can you... Can you read it in hillbilly? In hillbilly. Hillbilly. East Tennessee, West Tennessee. Go ahead. For God so loved the world. That's not so good. All right. <laughs> Stick to what you know. Amen. For God so loved the world. Thank you, Mike. You can be But I mean, that's impressive. You know what Paul told the Corinthians because they were so proud of their ability to speak in tongues? He said, I speak in tongues more than you all. But he never bragged about it. He never gloated about it. He didn't glory in it. Personally, I can speak in English, decent enough English, better than at least one U.S. presidential candidate. <laughs> Maybe both of them, I don't know. <laughs> However, if I could speak in every single dialect right now that exists on this earth, there are 6,904 languages in the world, I'm told, if I could, it's still just a zero, according to verse 1, if I don't speak it in love. It's just a zero. In fact, look again at verse 1, chapter 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. That's 6,905. What does it say? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity or love, I'm become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. That sounding brass, the Greek word is chokos. It refers to those huge gongs in the pagan temples that Paul would walk by. And with those gongs, there's no music. There's just a senseless din. And you know, that's all it is. When someone speaks with the tongues of men or of angels without the love of God, it's just a zero. You wrote it down. Take your pen now, and next to that zero, put another zero, big zero. In fact, put three zeros, three more zeros, because three things are listed in verse 2. Chapter 13, let's read it. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries, and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I can remove mountains, and have not charity, I am nothing. You know what the word nothing means? It means zero. And then I want you to put, I'll put it down, a fifth and sixth zero for verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Hmm. Let's say you gave everything away. All my goods to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned. People do that. And have not charity. It profiteth me zero. Nothing. Now wait a minute. If you add all of that together, that's your life. You gave your body to be burned. You gave everything to the poor. You spoke with tongues. You prophesied. You moved a few mountains from here to there. If you did that, they're all zeros. Zero plus zero plus zero plus zero. In fact, zero times zero. It's still wood, hay, and stubble. It's still zero. Do you realize this is why Jesus told the rich young ruler, go sell everything that you have. You want to have eternal life? Do it. Because had he done so, 
without the love of God in his heart, it would have still been zero. So that no matter how awesome or how impressive the zero is, if it's a zero, it still doesn't count. It's nothing. However, suppose you take a number one, put it right in front of all those zeros. Just take a one and put it in the front. And now it's one million. You put a one in front of seven zeros and you have 10 million. And you know something, folks? That little one that you write down is like the value that God's love adds to all of your works. God simply says that when you add his love to your service and to your effort, it takes nothing, profits me nothing, it takes nothing and turns it into gold and silver and precious stones. It turns vanity and zeros into eternal substance. That's the value. I saw a town hall. I guess we're going to see a lot of them this year. I saw a town hall on TV the other day, and i got to tell you something. All that I saw were a bunch of haters on one side, hating a bunch of haters on the other side, while a bunch of haters on CNN were trying to get everyone else to hate as well. This world does not understand, and it does not value the love of God. And neither did you before you experienced the love of God through the new birth. My brother's here, Rick. My older brother's here. He's a lot like our dad. Rick can fix anything. He can operate most anything. Even as a kid, he uh, was really good with tools and so forth. He made our surfboards or skimboards by hand and so on. He was, re- I, I, he was good with stuff. I was really good with matches and fire. What he made, I could burn it. <laughs> Yesterday we were texting, and I said, do you remember something? He says, I remember everything. He remembered we had a bully in base housing. And he used to chase us down. He'd kind of fight with us. And he's a big kid named Charlie Walker, I think it was his last name. And, and he said, you know, we're talking about it. And we always dealt with bullies, the th- with three boys in my home, uh, sort of as a cabal. We would just get together. We would ambush them. We would fight each other, but we wouldn't let anybody else fight one another. And so we would ambush them with this kid was always chasing us down with his bike, showing off. He was, he was older than me, at least. I think maybe older than Rick. And one day at the ballpark, my brother shows up, and he shows me a wrench. Puts it away. Sure enough, after the game, we taunt. I figured out what was going on, kind of taunt him. And we're going home, and he's chasing us like he always does. And, and this guy over here pops a wheelie sort of to show off, says, hey, you can – you can't pop a wheelie, and, and, and sure enough, he pops his wheelie, Charlie does, but he had taken the wrench and removed the bolt from the wheel in the front. <laughs> and so when he popped his wheelie, the wheel kept going, and the bike came down, and he smashed and was all bloody and bruised and so forth. And, you know, what did we do? We laughed. We pointed. We celebrated. I think we rode around in circles like Comanche Indians. I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Either way, we're not receiving any rewards in heaven for that. And you're not getting any for laughing about it. But that was me. That was me, B.C., before Christ. I mean, love your enemies. Do good to them that despitefully use you. Father, forgive them. Forgive him. I didn't have any love in my heart for Charlie Walker, but I do now, wherever he is, as a 70-year-old with a limp or whatever he's got. Of course. 
Because the flesh can never value agape love. But folks, hear this. Our values are not based on the flesh. They're just not. They're not based on this world system either. You see verse 8. Charity never faileth. Love, God's love, agape love that's been shed about, it never faileth. Now, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Love, it says, will never fail. You know what that is? That is worth. That is value. And the very first step to a supernatural life is the love of God and is to value that love. Do you? Do you want it? Because that leads us to the second thing. We said, number one, value it. Number two is pursue it. You see the first line of chapter 14? What's it say? Follow after love. That means chase after it. Chapter 13, verse 31, you can covet earnestly, what? The best gifts. Covet them. But there's something even more excellent that we're supposed to, quote, covet earnestly. So that, look, as as Jude admonishes, keep yourselves in the love of God. This is a decision and this is a choice. It is a life pursuit. It is one that is deliberately chosen by you, building your life with gold and precious stones. That is, pursue this. I'm just not naturally the love. Pursue the love of God. You know, a lot of people spend their lives pursuing all kinds of things. You in this room, fame, maybe, certainly money, position, health, academia, sports. Someone asked me this week if I was going to preach on the Super Bowl today. And I guess I could. You know, Job said he has blocked my way and I cannot pass. (laughs) I press for the first down mark. I could preach on it. Or Ecclesiastes 9-11, the race is not to the swift. Or the Swifties, amen, I'm just saying. (laughs) During the invitation, come up, pour Gatorade on my head. We could do that, that'd be great. I'm not preaching on football, even though it's a perfect illustration, frankly, of what people pursue. It does. It takes a lifetime of desire and dedication to become excellent in any sport. Rick and I played a lot of football and baseball together growing up. A lot of dedication, a lot of practice. And that's why it resonates with people. Paul himself spoke often about the Greek games, but always in terms of those earthly crowns that were made out of olive wreaths that just faded and passed away as compared to the heavenly crowns that that come from eternal pursuits. And Paul says, yes, there are things in life that are good and that are helpful and that are valuable, but there's also that which is way better. There is the more excellent way. And that thing is the love that comes from God. Value it. Pursue it. And then number three, he says, continue in it. What does that mean, Pastor? Well, look at chapter 15. This is how this chapter begins. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. Now, wait a minute. Follow this. 
in the metaphor that Paul uses at the beginning and throughout this epistle, he told the Corinthians and us that we already have a foundation. We have a foundation, if you're saved, and that foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. It is receiving the gospel, being saved by God's grace. Our very foundation began because of God's love. For God so loved, he just read it in three languages and signed it, God so loved the world that he gave. Paul said in Romans 5.5, Because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Shed abroad? In other words, you already have. You have experienced the love of God and not just a sampling. The Bible says that it's shed abroad. It remains there by the Holy Spirit who has given it to us. So you received his love. Now continue in it. Build on that foundation is what God is saying. Do you know, beloved, that you have far more capacity to love others than you think you have? You have, a, you have a miraculous spiritual capacity to love even your enemies as Jesus modeled for us. Do you want to do that? Have you continued in the love that God shed abroad in your heart so that no believer... You know what Corinthians is about, right? This was the problem child of all of Paul's churches. They were just a mess. Backbiting, Lying, boasting, pride, divisions. Most of Corinthians is about that. And you know what he's saying? He's saying, look, you Corinthians, no believer ever, because of what God has done for you and in you, ever has to fall back into a position or an attitude of gossip or envy or division or strife or pride. You don't have to anymore. Because remember, when you got saved, you got the love of God. The supernatural, agape, powerful love of the living God. Romans 5.8, but God commended His love toward us in that while we're yet sinners. Ephesians 2.4, but God who is rich in mercy for His great love wherewith He hath loved us. Every one of you who are saved this morning, and this pastor included, is filled with the love of God. It was the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. A man said to his wife one day while they were struggling, you know, someday, sweetheart, perhaps we'll be rich. And she said, actually, dear, we're already rich. Perhaps someday we will also have money. She understood the more excellent thing. Which brings us to a closing verse and a closing thought this morning. Pastor, I got a lot of things going on. I'm a busy person. I have a lot of things, a lot of things at church, a lot of things at home with my family, a lot of things with my colleagues at work. I have so many things, so many things that I'm doing with my wife, with my kids, with my parents, with my neighbors, so many things with so many people. Pastor Blaylock, What do I do? I can tell you what Paul said in conclusion to all of this. Look at chapter 16, would you? 
In 1 Corinthians 16, after all this powerful discussion on the more excellent thing and the greatest of these, he closes the epistle in verse 14. Here's all the things. Let all, all your things be done with love, with charity. All your things. Whatever you do. Pastor, I need to do this tomorrow with my neighbor. I need to do this tomorrow with my wife or my husband. I need to do this with, I have to do this with my children. Okay, whatever you do, let all your things. Make sure all your things are done with God's love. That is the way better thing. That is the more excellent thing that God wants us to do and know and value and pursue that matters for eternity. If God says that you can give all your money to the poor and it's a zero, if you don't do it because of God's love, if you don't do it out of Christ's love, don't you think, don't you think that you should value that which God values? Our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Inasmuch as Corinthians or the church at Corinth was the problem child, the Holy Spirit takes the divine finger of God and points to the source of all their problems. They didn't love one another. They didn't really love God. They didn't love the Lord Jesus Christ. What they did while they were speaking in tongues or the so-called healings and the so-called prophecies, they were done out of pride, selfishness, ego, what they wanted. Let all your things be done in love. Pastor, I'm here today and I'm saved by the grace of God. God has saved me. His love has been shed abroad in my heart through Christ Jesus. Sealed by the Holy Spirit, I know that I'm saved. But as a Christian, I needed this, this text and I needed this truth and I needed these reminders today. How many believers in this room would say, yes, Pastor Blaylock, that's me. I need to value and pursue it. Who would say that? Would you lift your hands through the building and amen and amen? You could say, Pastor, how do I know if I'm pursuing this love? I tell you what, if you, if you lashed out at someone out of anger, if you grabbed something out of selfishness, that's not love. That's not love. That's wood, hay, and stubble. That's how you know. I wonder who might say this morning, because we've mentioned so many times in this message about salvation, being born again. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I wonder how many in this room and how many watching now by live stream have never done that. You don't even have the foundation. Who is our Lord Jesus Christ? But you can. You can be saved today. Pastor, that's me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. I'm not sure that I have that foundation. I don't know that I've been born again. I've been born, but I don't know I've been born again that I've accepted Christ, God's Son, as my Lord and Savior. Could we pray for you? I'm not going to come to embarrass you at all. And heads are bowed and eyes are closed, so I'd love to pray for you. Pastor Blake, that's me. Would you raise your hand? Not sure that you're saved. Amen. I see that young lady. Anyone else? I see your hand. God bless you and you. Sweet. Yes, sir. Anyone else? I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right. Today is the day of salvation for you. Today. Right there in your pew, you can pray. Admit to the Lord that you're a sinner. I know, you know, the Bible says all have sinned. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. It says they've come short of the glory of God. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I've come short. 
And the wages of sin is death. That means hell, second death. Right there in the pew, pray. You raise your hand, ask the Lord Jesus, come into my life, accept Christ as Savior. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. Save me today. And for those in this room who are saved, what God says the world ought to see in us, they shall know that you are brethren. They shall know that you belong to Christ by your love. That's not sentimentalism. Not that stuff. Not just the fact that you smile and say platitudes. No, no, by your love. That's agape love. That's how we're known by the lost world. Would to God they see that in this church. Would to God that somebody walks in those back doors at any service and the first thing they run into is a Christian with agape love, not someone who's, who walks right past them, doesn't see them, won't offer their seat, but someone with the love of Christ. Father, bless the invitation. We commit it into your hands as always. And Lord, I pray for these who've asked for prayer. And I myself raise my hand right now and say, Lord, please help me to value, help me to pursue and continue in the love of God. Help me not to look at things as the world does, wood, hay, and stubble, and value that ever. And for these who've asked for prayer, Lord, draw them to you to that end. Those hands that were raised of those who are not saved. We pray for them. Perhaps they prayed a moment ago and exercised faith. May they not leave here today until you use the remainder of this service to bring them to you and to Christ. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.